Hey everyone, Dan Keeler here, founder of Frontier Markets News, bringing you more fascinating insights about the trends and stories unfolding beyond the glare of global media. In this episode, I'm joined by Jared Glansbeek, who's the founder and chief investment officer of Riscura, which started life 24 years ago as a risk manager and is now advising on around $200 billion of assets with a focus on emerging and growth markets. We'll be talking about which regions show the most promise, how to build a balanced portfolio, how nervous investors should respond to current market uncertainty, the importance of interest rates, and the challenges of living on the wild side of the investing world. So Jared, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really good to connect with you, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Dan, for having me. You mentioned to me before that you feel like equity investors in emerging markets are facing a bit of a tough year. What, uh, what did you mean by that? I think this is one of those years where there's uncertainty in all equity markets. And we certainly are at a place where, let's say, markets are cheaper than they were prior to last year's volatility. But the inflation story and the geopolitical stories, those, those are not done. And that's just going to introduce volatility. So I, I would suggest that that's a, that, that's a, a, a global phenomenon. It's not an uh, emerging market or a developed market issue to, or, or frontier market. Within our company, there are widely divergent views. We have the, the, the big bears and we have, uh, let's say, people who are, who are a little bit more optimistic. Um, so it's going to be tough. Emerging markets then have this added thing of whether people are withdrawing dollars or, or, or investing. So their capital flows into these markets beyond what is happening in, let's say, price discovery in, in, uh, in, in developed markets. And that then makes it a little slightly harder um, uh, issue for emerging market managers. But there are some positive uh, stories within that, and that there um, makes that particularly exciting. What, what are the sort of positive stories that you would highlight? What, com- what comes to mind when you think of that? Well, I, th- I think there's a valuation issue. Um, I think uh, if you look at emerging markets, or many of them have lived with inflation for a lot longer than, than the developed markets um, kind of re-experience of inflation. And so these are, these are not new tricks for, for people in emerging markets. And then you've got the specifics. So, I mean, I, for one, think that uh, uh, given where China is, it does look a little bit more interesting. Uh, you know, there are geopolitical issues around that, but you've got, you've got this, quite, this big uh, portion of emerging markets, which I think has a great earning story. I mean, there's, you know, attaching multiples to that, so there's still the volatility. But the earnings story is is certainly positive in direction uh, compared to everywhere else, which has this threat of of, um, of recession. And you know, you then uh, go to frontier markets, so outside of the emerging markets, and suddenly you have you have uh, um, a commodity stories, and you know you start to get through to some really interesting uh, places. So, so the African continent would would be a pretty good story for me where pricing is even better and commodity prices are in general higher than they were five years ago. And so the fiscal positions in many of these countries actually look looks pretty good. And so, you know, other things follow. So I just think that especially when you're talking emerging and frontier markets, it's just so diverse that there are definitely positive things within that. And that would be quite different to more homogenous developed markets or more interconnected developed markets. 
It's interesting you talk about commodity producers because obviously they um, were seriously out of fashion until very recently. Um, many of the countries that are commodity producers tend to have um, challenges, to say the least, in sort of managing their economies and managing the um, when revenues do increase, like making sure that they're used in a, a sustainable way. Do you do you feel like do you feel optimistic about how the commodity producers are going to be, that will be benefiting from these rises in prices? Do you feel confident that they will manage their economies in a way that's sustainable and and good for the long term? What's important is in the short term the tailwind of um, extra cash flow generation is just it's it's something you just can't ignore. So so. There are there, you know, and uh, I, I guess in emerging markets, and in fact in equity markets in general, we've lived through periods where you live from day to day, and this would be nothing new. But what you have is you've got a, a kind of external air being blown into that balloon. Now, whether the balloon pops or not is a different story, but the air is going in, and all I, you know. So for me, it's 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 very hard not to recognize that, and so you you, you know you need to. You need to be positive, but as we as we discussed earlier, ultimately investors are buying some level of capital structure, if you like, of um, widget producers, and so you're worried about how many widgets are sold, and um, and uh, there are industries that you can pick for these widget uh, makers, and when when that when that positive air is going into that balloon, there are opportunities in buying various uh, components of the capital structure of those widget makers. I, I'm sorry to be that broad, but that's kind of really the opportunity, and those opportunities uh, ultimately exist. Uh, you have, mm. you have, let's say, political risk in all these places, and in some of them you can actually hedge that out. Some of them you can't, and you have to uh, um, uh, uh, take a view there. But um, it's certainly with that air going into that balloon, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a positive story for many of those economies. Do any particularly stand out that that you've become excited about? Well, I, I would definitely say Africa looks interesting, um, and uh, the the key there is uh, starting with with pricing. And I, I mean, let's let's put it this way: holistically, relative to certainly the US, I mean, pricing just looks good. There are there are risks. Um, but if you look at Africa, if, uh, and there obviously are liquidity issues around Africa, but you've got equities which are cheap. You've got to be quite careful about political and it's a currency risk, but you've got equities that are cheap. You've got bonds that are cheap. And you have, uh, in many of these economies, you've got capital structures which are, um, uh, or, or let's just say, um, uh, 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 debt where where the debt-to-GDP ratios are actually quite low and the risk of default is actually quite low. Um, and I'm not saying everywhere, but it's quite low. And the uh, brush that they've all been tainted with really allows for extraordinary uh, opportunities. And those, those change through time. The, the illiquidity changes that through time. Sometimes they look more exciting. And, and when things run, you see those, those yields come down on the, on the sovereign uh, uh, bonds. And uh, you've got to maybe wait for a new ent entry point, but the opportunities are, are definitely uh, definitely there. Yeah. Well, we'll get into later on. We'll get into um, 
your investment strategy and how the firm actually operates and what you what you invest in. But um, just to kind of wrap up this theme, this question of whether it's going to be a tough year or not, for those equity investors who don't want to endure a tough year, what do you recommend? Well, I guess they have to they have to exit. But I, I would suggest that in terms of many of your investors, the you've got a portfolio of equities. So let's say the relative game. I would suggest is one where if you have to be in equities, I personally, maybe not in the short term, but I would be relatively overweight uh, emerging markets uh, in in kind of its its uh, and frontier markets in its full structure. Are you not concerned about currency volatility though? Because it feels like emerging market currencies are definitely not uh, universally strengthening against the dollar. Uh, and the timing of that is important. You know, it may not be there yet, but you you are starting to tend to get to a place where the dollar has been that strong, that this is a fairly good entry point into those into those markets. So that's the first one is is a relative weighting. Um, when you start to worry about what should you be doing in uh, in an absolute sense, um, they're a little bit more tricky. But what we what we have noticed is when you compare the interest you get on debt versus, and I'm going to call it in inverted commas, the interest you get on equity, and you compare those two, um, you know, equity markets are not looking bad. And in many of these emerging markets actually look, look, uh, uh, look pretty good compared to the debt. So I find I find it an interesting, this is interesting in an absolute sense as well, the same story. Yeah, good time to be focused on emerging markets by the sound of it. I, I think so. And do you take a um, country-specific approach to analyzing investment opportunities and allocating capital, or do you tend to take a sector approach, or, or maybe even a different approach altogether? I would say we we probably look at regions, stroke countries first, prior uh, before um, before sector, but but we're cognizant of what those sectors are in many of the areas that we're involved in, and we've kind of had to be so so you know. Uh, uh, back down to the frontier markets. You look at the index, and yeah, there's no tech. <laughs> you know, it's just it's the oddest thing. There's yeah. very little tech. Yeah, that's there's crazy. 30, uh, I mean, it, 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 there's a huge financial exposure, and then you get to uh, 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 general stories you like, like we like Vietnam, but you know, a third of the Vietnamese exposure is property. So there, the, you know, there are a lot of specifics mm-hmm. in that, but I would say that that is the second thing that we would we would contemplate. And within this, they obviously are, you know, if if our, our true starting point, as I said before, is interest rates. I mean, we have to be governed by interest rates before we get into into uh, asset classes, because as everybody has now relearned, is you know, equities are ultimately a set of cash flows going into the future, and they're priced today by discounting. And when you when you have changes in those interest rates, that has an that has an uh, an impact on the portfolio. So there, there are a couple of interesting things in uh, that come from that. One, people do this very clearly in fixed interest. You know, you and then you kind of build in some credit. But on the equity, you need to do the same thing. And I, I always struggle with people who say I don't want equity in my portfolio because it's risky. And when they model, they have these risky assets which can go down to zero. That just it's a set of cash flows discounted, and so it's actually very hard to get there unless you have some kind of scenario, especially in, at a macro sense, some kind of scenario built into interest rates on debt as well. 
and um, it does mean that you can start to play these things, uh, you know, uh, play with these things through time. That's interesting. Um, I'd love to dig into Vietnam just a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you know that you like Vietnam as an overall story. Um, you preceded that by saying that there's very little tech exposure in um, in the indices, and you mentioned that Vietnam is thirty percent property. Um, how do you, when looking at Vietnam or when investing in Vietnam, how do you then allocate capital to the sectors that you do find more interesting, and not end up just stuck in property? So, so. Um... I mean, I think the starting point is we are a macro-driven organization. And we need to understand what those macros are saying in terms of the, the uh, capital that we, that we allocate. And, and so I would say that that there is a question we would rather leave to a manager in that area because, because ultimately, we beyond asset, asset allocation calls, I would suggest that our role is is a, a human resource endeavor, and it's about finding the right teams who will who will uh, manage that. But but because we're at a kind of macro level, we certainly have to understand what is implied in us selecting a manager who then goes and let's say con- concentrates on frontier markets, or by the way is allowed uh, off piece positions, and what does that mean? So I, I would suggest. As a as a capital allocate uh, uh, capital advisor, in terms of the allocation of, of the capital, is uh, w- that becomes a reasonably uh, interesting thing for us. But um, the managers really need to be quite specific. They need to be very specific on this. What it would lead us to do, though, is when you look at these markets, the single biggest thing that we would be then doing, because of that focus of the uh, of the listed equity is we would also be looking at unlisted opportunities because we know that those flaws need to be compensated somewhere else. So I would say that that's probably the direction we would be going in rather than, okay, do we, uh, do we not allow someone, you know, if, if property is not really, or, or real estate is not really the game we want to play uh, in Vietnam, well, what does that mean for us? And that for us is, is something that we'd hand over or, by the way, have some kind of other asset which, which in its uh, broad um, uh, um, uh, pathway, which is represented in, let's just say, some kind of seen or unseen benchmark, we would be wondering what we could put next to that to actually take away or reduce that risk or enhance the position in the likes of Vietnam. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I, I love this concept that you're, um, you're investors primarily, but you're also basically human resources experts in terms of finding the right people and managing them. So, um, so what do you most enjoy about what you do? You know, you know, my 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 life started off as as a as an asset manager, and you know, a lot of people really love that. And um, but ultimately, that kind of work is, especially if you get boxed in some kind of mandate, it gets quite uh, um, the focus becomes quite narrow. And what I find in our world is that is that actually there's always something new coming up and there's always a bright shiny object to chase mm-hmm. and you know so and and that's, that sounds like that's being really, a journalist yeah, yeah exactly and, and and that for me is 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 reasonably interesting so uh, and as long as you have kind of a, a view which is quite quite broad um you know you've got derivatives on one day you've got uh, 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 
uh, let's call it unlisted venture capital in some specific region on another day. You've got this crisis in that country. You've got, I mean, it really is uh, um, really, really interesting. And that there, for me is far more interesting than having to run through the same models on a set of uh, uh, investment opportunities, which by the way, you're extracting value out of because you're doing some rote work well and it allows you to extract that value. And so that, that for me was less, less interesting than uh, the role that I, that I now do. Yeah, understandably. Um, I mean, one of the things, it, it, obviously you and I share this kind of excitement about the markets that we're focused on, but one of the things I love about it particularly is the people that I meet. You know, there are just so many interesting people in this space, either on the sort of investee side, the kind of companies that you'll be talking to, or the people that actually choose to, um, to, to, to walk on the wild side in a sense. You know, it really is. It's not the, it's not the conservative approach. Yes, but you know it's, what's interesting in that discussion is it is the wild side. But when you have something that we've seen over the last ten years of a strong dollar, it's funny. Uh, you know, it's it is wild because it's completely out of your control. And you know, these people that live on the wild side, they see these unbelievable investment opportunities. But boy, have you had to wait some time for those to to actualize in let's just call it a relative performance sense. So it's quite a, it's quite a, it's been quite a challenging time for the people that you deal with because you know your focus is obviously emerging frontier markets. So I think it's been incredibly challenging, and yeah. and we are all we have to be optimists to look for again the relative turning point of these markets, and who knows when that comes. And so that does make it quite interesting. And in all of this, you just need to throw in a little bit of really hectic geopolitics and it makes the whole mm-hmm. thing <laughs> even more of a nightmare so so i get it but ultimately all these people living on the wild side want to see i suspect some kind of benefit coming through and it's just been it's been tough to to hold that course and you know um uh, you've got to give it to them it's it's you now have been waiting a very long time but but yeah. i would suggest yeah. in that in that view that actually uh it turns out that a lot of what we're seeing now presents itself as that catalyst for this relative turning point. And that for me is, is quite interesting. Now, it may not be today. It may not be uh, this year. Although, uh, you know, if you do look at a reasonably positive Chinese earnings, uh, earnings story, geopolitics aside, um, uh, you do start to get to the, you know, you start to feel that at least that there should be some kind of driver for the Chinese exposure itself within emerging markets and then the knock-on Chinese exposure to the other emerging markets from which it is um, uh, kind of closely linked. Uh, yeah, there definitely feels like there's been a momentum shift or there's, it's underway, the momentum shift, and that there is an attention shift. That's one thing that um, I'd noticed over the towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year is just that people who mm. had kind of forgotten about emerging markets were paying a little bit more attention again, and I think that's a very good sign. So it, uh, it will great. be interesting to see how, how that unfolds. Um, who do you most respect in the investing world, apart from your own team, obviously? I would hate to give a name, but, but you, you really are, and you have on tap a phone call away to just extraordinary uh, uh, um, uh, people. And it, it just really is interesting. And what's, what is, what's super interesting about that is that their views are so divergent. It just really makes it makes it interesting. The macro movements, I think, are are quite important in what we do 
um, through time. And because because a lot of these exceptional people are, um, are, are or box themselves in the way they think. And so there are these macro things, you know, uh, if you just think maybe 15 years ago, you know, geopolitics, geopolitics had died, uh, in, uh, inflation wasn't an issue. And, you know, now those things have, uh, have come back. And so you need to contemplate that. And um, if you if you think of all the young investors, uh, what they've had to go through, um, a lot of this is first time stuff. Yet, if you look at the seventy year olds, they've seen all of this, you know, for for some mm-hmm. time. And so, the key yeah. is when you are looking at those exceptional people, is just mixing it up. And it's those youngsters, uh, 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 it's the 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 young guns, by the way, who have had to teach the older folk about new uh, new investment opportunities and. That also makes it really, really interesting. So I, I would say that your best approach is to recognize that you are in a room in general with people that are smarter than you. And that yeah. really allows the job to be a little easier. Um, so one of the things I'm interested in and have been for a while, particularly in the frontier and smaller end of the emerging markets, is the impact of blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and digital assets generally. Is that something that you guys are paying attention to or you have an opinion on? So, so the first thing is, um, I'm I'm not a technical expert on on let's say crypto and let's say blockchain. What I recognize is that that, um, and this is not a new view. I mean, I've heard this, and it's, it was my original view is that there's, there's this uh, a platform that you can do amazing things on. And so for, for the widget maker that, earn, that gets earnings by doing some kind of service, getting paid for that service, discounting those earnings through time to today, which is just a widget uh, 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 a maker like any other, that's really interesting. When you start to get to crypto per se, that, 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 gets, that gets more interesting for me. Um, and not because I want to invest, but because let's say I'm, I'm trying to understand. And, and the the concept of a of a of an of an index any index which goes up or down through demand or supply has has i would call it a weak view of what intrinsic value is which in this case is this is the cost to produce a bitcoin uh, i mean you you really have to you have to lean on in my view, quite flimsy uh, um, views of what the intrinsic value is, and then around that, you you you're being you're being swayed by demand and supply for an index, uh, which is not a currency at all. It's an index. makes it makes it interesting. But but what what you'd have to do to understand this, if let's just say you want the directionality of, of crypto, is you have to say, well, are more people going to be buying or are more people going to be selling? That's, <laughs> ultimately, that's what you need to do. Yeah. And, and uh, if, you, if you did that with a company, what you would say is you'd say, are more people going to be buying or are they going to be selling uh, around some more clear intrinsic value? And I say it's more clear because there's some level of income that you discount and you get to some kind of intrinsic value and the, the market value is either high or low and you can play around that. So I would suggest that in that sense, it's quite flimsy and uh, it's, it's, it feels a little too flimsy for, for um, serious contemplation 
by institutional investors who have um, long-term liabilities. Because the first thing is, it's not really clear when you discount your, your liabilities and you want to understand those cash flows through time, what you're going to assume on on um, on uh, crypto. And, and the same thing same thing would be true for, for, for uh, commodities. But if you're going to evaluate the commodity producer or, or let's say the, the crypto widget uh, uh, business that you that you that you're buying, that there for me is a is an easier uh, prospect, and it's something I can relate to the, the the goals of what we're trying to do in the portfolio. So, so really interesting the businesses that will be created, and that there obviously would be implicit to any um, venture capital portfolio, um, uh, uh, built around those those expertise, um, but. The, the index, the the Bitcoin per se, um, starts to get a little bit tricky for us in terms of, well, why are we put it in, putting it in a portfolio and what is going to make us excited about it and what is going to make us think that it's a little bit uh, expensive. You know, I think one of the interesting things about the whole space, though, is that it is creating these new rails on which you can transfer or even store value. And that's where I think, you know, in emerging markets, particularly where they've dealt with friction for transactions that is just, you know, off the charts in many ways, um, the opportunity to streamline, to reduce that friction is is phenomenal. And that's where I think it's going to be super exciting to see how it develops. I agree. I, you know, I agree 100% on that. What about AI? That's, um, are you exploring AI at all in your investing process or as an investment opportunity? Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting uh, uh, area, and I would just look at it in terms of a portfolio. I have to give you the same comments uh, as as for 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 uh, crypto. So, so we 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 like the AI space, and we certainly are trying to use the tools within what we do. But we also then like the widget makers that make earnings, which you can discount uh, to today of uh, um, uh, widget makers uh, using AI. And and when we when we look at it in our own business, we you know we're contemplating our own uh, error minimization because the the ability of AI with computing power to deal with a with a lot of data is is great and sift out at, at the minutia where there are potentially problems. So on the admin side, very easy. Can we find errors? And you know on the uh, investment side, just just kind of toying with these these ideas. Um, and the difficulty for us has really been if we are, if we are in a space of making sure that that the uh, that we're trying to be experts on the human resource endeavor, is how do we play with these tools uh, within within that environment of trying to pick good good teams. Well, that's a good question, and given you've been doing a pretty good job of it using the old-fashioned real intelligence. And on that note, I'd like to thank you for joining us and sharing your insights. Thanks, Dan. Wonderful chat. So that brings us to the end of this episode of the Frontier Markets News Podcast. We've been hearing from Jared Glansbeek, who's the founder and chief investment officer at Riscura. As always, you can get the latest summary of news from the Frontier and Growth Markets at frontiermarkets.co. And you can also sign up there for our weekly newsletter, which will land in your inbox every Saturday, helping you to stay on top of the week's key news from smaller emerging markets. The music on this podcast is What's the Angle by Shane Ivers from silvermansound.com. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast and want us to be able to produce more of them, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your family, your followers on social media, anyone you can think of, really. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. Send me an email at dan at frontiermarkets.co. And that's a wrap. Until next time. <laughs>